Welcome everyone to the Caribbean Science Fiction Network, a celebration of all things fantasy, folklore, speculative fiction, and of course, science fiction. By the time we got to Regeneration, there were two things I wanted to do. One was to, instead of looking back at technologies that had come before, was to look forward to what the next big disruption might be, might look like. On this episode of the podcast, I chat with Jamaican writer Stephanie Salter about the final book in her trilogy, Regeneration. Given that Regeneration was largely going to be about how people could find ways to live together going forward, I thought that energy was a logical place to land because how a society's energy is generated, who controls it, how sustainable it is, tells you a lot about that society. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for the invitation. Before we chat about regeneration uh, in particular and the trilogy in general, I wanted to begin by acknowledging that you are probably one of the few Caribbean writers to sort of, what I say, put the science fiction in Caribbean science fiction. Before we chat about the book, I want to ask you, how do you see your role as a Caribbean SF writer? Um, somewhat contingent. I'm a Caribbean writer whose first book turned into three books, which were science fiction. I think you decide, you, you work out what the story is or the story that wants to be written punches its way out of your head is actually what it feels like most of the time. And it, and it takes the form it takes. Um, so the, 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 the first book of the trilogy, Gem Signs, which didn't know it was going to be a trilogy but turned into one, um, took the form of a story set sometime in the future, in a future that was dealing with the, the outcome of how human society and the technology it had created did not entirely get along well, if I can put it like that. And because that was the framing of the story, it was a science fiction, the, the tales are science fictional. But so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain it like that because I think it is, it is not so much, you don't start from saying I'm going to be a science fiction writer. Now what story do I want to tell? You start with the story and the, and the architecture of the story determines what genre it's going to be placed in. I mean, I think you're you're right in that it is it is sort of quite remarkable how little science fiction there seems to be. And one of the the, the comments that I had quite early on was that well, Caribbean people don't write science fiction. That's something other people do, which which um, I disagreed with quite strongly. <laughs> This is a real inspiration for, for those young writers who are coming up and thinking about, um, you know, they might be thinking about writing science fiction and, you know, you explain it as starting with a story. So for all the, the, the budding writers out there, take note. Stephanie, you touched on gem signs and I want you to also um, trace that trajectory then um, from gem signs to the focus on regeneration, which will be the which will be the focus of this of, of, of this episode. Regeneration ended up being a kind of a political industrial thriller. It's about what happens in a 
in an already tense and fragmented society when a radical new technology, which is created by the sort of ultimate marginalized outsider group, threatens the dominance of an established business and political interests, um, and an already complex situation is, is further complicated by a range of factors. You enter regeneration with all the weight of, of what has gone before. Um, and in terms of the overall trilogy, it had to complete a very long and complex arc. The earlier books set out the ways in which they have impacted on the world they live in, but because they have done that, it means the world they live in is one they're still having to constantly negotiate because it is it is moving on and they're having to move on with it. So in a sense, regeneration is trying to capture the consequences of the things that have happened and the decisions that have been made and to give a sense that while we may be exiting the story at this point, the story itself is still happening somewhere. While this novel may bring the trilogy to an end, the issues that it takes up very much speaks to longevity of the issues. So I want you to talk a bit about longevity as it relates to the novel taking up matters of energy, and in particular, the Thames power facility. So why energy? Why make this so important to the plot? Well, that ties in quite nicely with that notion of you know how you move forward. A lot of the earlier books were about setting up the framework of this, this post-apocalyptic world, um, which is basically dealing with the consequence of various technologies. That's the, the gem's existence themselves and a lot of what they have to to contend with is about what happens when the technology you invent doesn't, you know, has consequences you didn't anticipate. So, so by the time we got to regeneration, there were two things I wanted to do um, to switch that up a bit. One was to, instead of looking back at technologies that had come before, was to look forward to what the next big disruption might be, might look like. And also to focus more on, on the gillongs, which in the books are an amphibian subspecies of human who are capable of living and breathing in aquatic environments. Um, and they'd been around since the beginning of the trilogy. There were, there were Gillan characters from gem science, but I hadn't done very much with them as a group. So given that regeneration was largely going to be about how people could find ways to live together going forward, I thought that energy was a logical place to land because how a society's energy is generated, who controls it, how sustainable it is, tells you a lot about that society, about how they, they are constructed, about their attitude and their approach. And another thing um, is that one of the themes of the trilogy is also that events move in cycles. And I thought it was probably about time for a new energy crisis which at this point is not about fossil fuels, but it's about shifting from biomass to something even more sustainable. So the implication is at some point in the past, we got rid of fossil fuels and we moved to biomass. But biomass has its own problems and now here comes something else. And, and tidal power, uh, especially if you live on a, a huge tidal river like the Thames, which I fortunately am lucky enough to do. Um, so tidal power like wind power is, is endlessly renewable. It should be the perfect power source if you can work out how to harness it. And of course, the twist in regeneration is that it's a, a very marginalized minority group are the only ones who can really create energy from this source and control it. 
but they're a group who the majority population already find quite alien and are primed to be suspicious of and prejudiced against. You know, and I, I think, yes, it's science fiction, but but I think, you know, you just have to imagine what would happen if I can come a bit closer to home, if the if it were the people of Tobago or Haiti or St. Lucia who are the ones to come up with a solution to current global energy issues and do so in a way where no one else could take it over from them. The world would have to deal on their terms. You know, it would be, it would be nice to think that the powers that be would welcome this development, but, but I think we all know what would really happen. You made reference to Tobago, which for our listeners, that is the sister isle of, of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and, and that is such a fascinating concept to think of because how are minorities uh, defined and, and, and how those margins uh, are developed? I think, I think it's a really fascinating concept. Now, even though the novel isn't set in the Caribbean, the, the issues it takes up, such as enslavement, exploitation, uh, minorities, and non-humanity, these issues are, are relatable. And I want to get a sense from you how do you see your Caribbean sensibility informing these issues? The, well, I mean, it completely informs them. The novels, the whole concept of the trilogy is entirely generated out of my experience as a Caribbean person. I mean, I set, I set the books in London partly because that's where I now live, but also because another theme, as I think you've picked up, is the clash between the dominant society, which kind of regards themselves as a default version of humanity and culture, and the people who they have oppressed and enslaved in order to achieve the dominance that allows them to be that arrogant. Um, and so in, in, in within the world of the books, the gem's existence has been profoundly impacted in every way by the arrogance of that worldview. And I think, you know, it's not, not too much of a stretch that you could say something very similar about the Caribbean and people who have a, a similar history to ours. So... The trilogy is fundamentally about the post-emancipation struggle of people who have been engineered for service, have been completely commodified and understood only in terms of their use value and their financial value, fighting for equality and respect and the right to live their own lives in a world in which, for a long time, they themselves had not been regarded as much more than just another useful form of technology. So it's very much about the Caribbean experience and the gay and especially trans experience with arguments about about biological determinism that we see playing out, which is also an element in the books. So it turns out that while the books were generated out of a Caribbean sensibility, they are also about all these other things as well, not all of which I had had understood myself when I started writing, but, but became very obvious to me. And I think now that prejudice, discrimination, bigotry, othering, inequality are all the same kit of parts. They just get applied in different contexts. You know, it's it's like Lego. You can build anything with the blocks, but the building blocks are pretty much the same. On that idea of what it means to generate a Caribbean sensibility, in this novel, names carry a lot of significance. I think at one point it was Eve who asks, why is Gabe named Gabriel and why am I named Eve? 
Um, but out of all those characters, one name for me stood out, and that name was Agui. Yep. Of course, Agui is the lore of water, uh, a fisherman of the sea in Voodoo. So I want to get your thoughts on why this particular name choice as part of your overall generating of a Caribbean sensibility. Well, do you know what? I'm so delighted that you picked up on, on Agua's name because you are the first person I've spoken to who recognized it, recognized its origin. You're absolutely right to, to observe that naming is very significant. And that, that was something that I made very fundamental in the first book. So it was a theme that carried through. But as to how Agua, which is, which is probably the most sort of obviously Caribbean name, out. It really came out of my struggle to, to work out the plot for Regeneration. As I said, it was quite difficult because it had to pull so many complex things together. And I toyed for a little while with setting it partly in the Caribbean. And that idea didn't gel because I couldn't work out what the story would be. And it felt like too big a thing to do in the last book, given that everything up to that point had happened in London. So I, I abandoned that idea. But I wanted to give a nod. Sometimes you leave little presents for yourself in your writing, <laughs> even more than for the reader. And I really wanted to remember my my idea, um, you know, of the Caribbean connection and my concept of of the Gillungs, because Agwe is one of the these amphibian, water breathing humans. And I think of that community, the Gillungs, as essentially Caribbean people. They have that kind of island people, small axe vibe about them. So I borrowed the name of Papa Agwe for my very different dynamic Gilong teen queen um, because I just needed something of our heritage and our history in the book in a way. And, and heritage was also part of it because I wanted to put something in that gave a sense of legacy of being connected to something ancient because in the framework of the books, the gems don't have much of a history. These engineered humans are relatively recent and there's a sense that their history doesn't go back that far. But of course, every human goes back as long as there have been humans. And I, I want to make a connection with sort of ancient belief systems that come out of the, the you know, come out of our history. We're talking about the ones who are figuring out um, the the solutions, and or at least the ones who are who are tending towards that. In this in the society that you're describing, they seem to have a lot of things figured out um, in terms of agriculture, jobs to some extent, sustainability. Yet there are aspects of technology and public health that haven't quite been figured out, um, and it seems that even in this high-tech society, you're, you're, you are exposing problems that currently affect us. Um, what was your intention here as, as a writer of science fiction? Well, fiction of any kind, it, that's any good, is always about the real world. It's always about the real world. Camus told us that fiction is a lie that tells the truth, and I think never, never would true words spoken. And technology never, ever solves all problems. It addresses a particular issue and then it creates or reveals other issues which then also need to be addressed. So 
you know, if you think of, of technology solving problems, that too is cyclical. And, and this, you know, a lot of the thinking about the interaction of technology and society came out of looking around at the, the world. No, because the speed of technological change in my lifetime has been astronomical. And what it means, and this was really the germ of the original idea for the trilogy many, many years ago, is that we're living in a world that we did not evolve for, right? We still have fundamentally hunter-gatherer minds and bodies, but we're living in the age of global travel and digital communications and working for a living by sitting in a chair. Um, so we've solved one set of horrific problems, starvation, disease and injury, early death to a great extent, but we've replaced them with, with a different set. So I really wanted to explore the way in which we create new problems that are mostly just the old problems coming around again. And also science fiction has tended to privilege what, what a lot of people like to call the hard sciences, physics and cosmology and mechanical engineering with all of the, the sort of expansionist, militaristic, um, colonialist implications that go along with that, you know, space travel and warring with alien civilizations. And I, I was really getting impatient that science fiction seemed to have been generally much less interested in the life sciences and the social sciences, even though those are where the most profound changes in human existence over the last you know, century or two or three have actually taken place. If you think of what hygiene and vaccines and antibiotics and safe water systems and mass agriculture and democratic politics and the concept of human rights and mass education, I mean, that, those are the things that have transformed the world we live in from the world that our great-great-grandparents lived in. Not, not space travel, you know, admirable though space travel may be. So, so I wanted to, I wanted to privilege that in my own writing, and I wanted to think about what the next hugely profound change might be, including what our new, now newly invented digital media environment might do to brains that didn't evolve for them. Um, that is the cause of the syndrome that's discussed in in Gem Science, which is the first book and which sort of leads to everything that happens after. And how, in that case, the science that saves the world, which is genetic engineering, goes on to have these unintended consequences. And how society would respond to those consequences and, again, fix a problem, but, again, other problems would flow out of that. So I think, you know, I think, it, I think it's deceptive to pretend that there is going to be some sort of magic pill or magic invention that fixes everything forever and ever. That's, that's not a reality that humans have ever experienced. And I, I don't think we ever will. I think we will keep, as long as we are evolving and progressing, new issues are going to arise. You mentioned politics and I wanna, I, I wanna touch on that because very early on you established there's a, there's a political tension, the, the United People's Party. I, I want to talk about that, that tension between politics and technology, which are brought to the fore where the future of science, genetic engineering is concerned. And I, I, I want you to talk a bit about how and why politics figure heavily in this novel and in your overall vision of futurity. I think that 
it's interesting you ask that because all of the novels in the trilogy have been political, but this is the most heavily so. This is this is where it's most overt in regeneration. And I think that to ignore politics is to ignore reality. You know, there is no plausible future where we move beyond politics entirely. I, I have hope that we might evolve into a more mature form of it, but it's another fundamental element of human existence that I think a lot of fiction, including science fiction, largely ignores. Um, if you get a politician in, in SF, they're, you know, they're likely to be villainous or ineffectual, which says a lot, I think, about how we think about politicians. Um, so, so to me, thinking, if you're thinking about issues on this bigger scale, as, for instance, the big next technological disruption, I don't think you can do that clearly without considering the political implications and the political impact because it's too big not to have one. So, so that was, you know, that was the reason on, on one level for politics featuring in this novel, because it is a big picture kind of um, examination. I, I'm almost ashamed to admit that while reading uh, Regeneration, I did not pick up on the generation null that occurs in the novel. I, I, that, is, that is brilliant. Um, on top of generating new ideas through this novel, on top of the, the idea of energy as, the, as the, sort of the, the driving force behind these new problems brought on by new technologies, we also have a generation that is also trying to deal with, 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 with the growing up. I, that, is, that is brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. I was, yeah, I, and I'd also, you know, I'd put, I'd put these characters through hell in the first two books, I have to tell you. Um, and I just thought, well, I have to, I have to, there has to be some hope at the end of it. And I think, you know, you, you touched on the name, on Eve's name, and, and Eve's name is sort of explained in the book as well, but it was also quite symbolic. There needed to be a new beginning. On top of that idea for, of a new beginning, and I also, I can't stop going back to the what you mentioned about the next big disruption because not only do you present that in the form of new problems brought on by uh, new energies but you're also presenting an idea of a new illness which which is also very much present in the novel and given our present pandemic I could not pass up the opportunity to ask you about this particular inclusion in this novel <laughs> so how does the narrative of a of an engineered microorganism invite us to more deeply consider the role of science fiction in proposing or at least gesturing towards future states of humanity and health? Well, I have to I have to say, um, my disclaimer is that I really didn't set out to write prophetic books. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't anticipate it. Um, you know, we don't we don't write worst case scenarios anticipating that they'll come true. If anything, I think we write them almost as a kind of obia to try and ward off the worst thing coming true. And of course, here it is anyway. But in terms of focusing on illness, I mean, part of it is is that reference I made earlier to wanting to think about medicine and the life sciences, um, because there are multiple illnesses throughout the trilogy. And I really wanted to think about health because that is a universal human issue. Everybody's life is impacted by their state of, of health or ill health or, you know, their access to health care. It is, it is as fundamental as food and oxygen. Um, so in gem science, it's mainly the legacy 
of the syndrome I mentioned, which, which starts everything off. So they're dealing with the legacy of a pandemic in gem science. And that's a bit of a theme as well, you know, the, the sort of industrial processes that damage the people who are forced to, to inhabit them. By the time you get to regeneration, the characters have more or less been able to deal with those inbuilt causes of, of ill health and disability that are the legacy of, of that, you know, genetic modification and that in, indenture system. But here comes an engineered disease that's been created specifically to target the gems that are seen as most threatening. So I, I didn't want, part of it I think was that I didn't want, I didn't want the world that I was writing to become complacent about issues of health because I don't think we should be. I am frankly baffled that science fiction has not in general done more with this. I think a lot of science fiction, if it thinks about the fragility of bodies at all, it tends to think in terms of doing away with them and moving to a mechanized or a digitized or a sublimated mode of existence. But I don't find that very compelling because I don't know who we would be in that case. I don't think you can separate the experience of being human from the organic reality of, of humanity. So I think science fiction has the capacity to explore issues around personal health and public health and how we deal with aging populations in a really deep and thoughtful way. And, you know, I don't think it always has to be the kind of dramatic finding of the ultimate cure. It's about what does this mean for a society? Yeah, it, it, it's such a provocative idea. I'm, I'm reading Generation regeneration and I'm, I'm reading these this idea for of an engineered virus and I'm thinking hmm okay this is kind of weird <laughs> I, I promise you when I was writing this in uh, I think I was writing it in 2013 I did not know this was coming <laughs> <laughs> so this really just drives home the point that we need to read more <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and particularly we need to read more Caribbean SF um so Stephanie, you mentioned this, you know, science fiction needs to take up more issues of public health. And we've had Karen Lord on this on the podcast, whose story, The Plague Doctors, addresses um, ideas of public health and humanity. And you're doing a similar thing. Now, Karen looks at hope in terms of the what, what is what we're doing right now is good. Um, and I want to get a sense from you. What is what is what is your what is your message? You, you've already alluded to it, but is there anything else um, you want you wanted to drive home um, with the idea with this framing of the of uh, of the illness? I think you know if, if there's a message that I to take out into the real world, it's that we need to rank these concerns higher, both in literature and in life, than we traditionally have done. You know, we reserve a lot of the accolades and the celebrity for, as I said before, for physicists, for, for people who do things that are flashier in some way, that are perhaps easier to dramatize and, and to, to talk about on television programs. But the really transformative work is done in a much less glamorous way by the, the people who deal with fragile human bodies and minds and i think we we don't privilege it enough that's the message i would like to be taken out it's 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 
regeneration has energy as one big strand and health as another. And actually, I think if you look at where we are now with the pandemic on one hand and the climate crisis on the other, you know, I'm not really reinventing the wheel here. It's making the point that these are the things we need to be thinking about and thinking about thoroughly as well as creatively. And I think if I can, you know, tie loop this back to, to something we're talking about at the beginning of our conversation about the Caribbean and science fiction, I think a lot of that also is is never to assume that there is an area that is not open um, to exploration as a creative, or you know, that there's an area of endeavor that somehow you, you can't do, you can't think about, or you can't explore because of who you are and where you come from. That's no more true in literature than it is in life. So we should, you know, we should recognize our own abilities and recognize the importance of what we can bring to the search for solutions. So, Stephanie, we're coming to the end of the of the talk. I, 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 like I said, I'm really fascinated by regeneration. I think I'm gonna have to have to um, have you back on the podcast to talk about gemstones and, and, and binary, if possible. Um, but any final words for our listeners? Uh, well, keep reading, obviously, um, and keep exploring, keep thinking. I have to say, I'm delighted you've talked to Karen because she is one of the excellent Caribbean science fiction writers. And um, I never, you know, I would say one of one of the things I hold very strongly to as a writer is never to be boxed in to any particular genre or any particular set of expectations. And I, that's kind of my rule for life and I would recommend it widely. Continue to explore. I think that message speaks to science fiction and your novel really does encapsulate Caribbean science fiction. So Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. Um, I think I must have you on sometime again to talk about gem signs and binary. It would be my pleasure. <laughs> um, and to our listeners, continue to read, continue to explore, and continue to listen to the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. Bye.